Hey, it's Chris Jones with The Jones Zone, and this episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Jones Zone at Keller Williams Realty. That's right. We sponsor our own podcast. So if you know of anybody looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest in residential real estate in the Charlotte, Rock Hill, Fort Mill area, have them connect with us on their favorite platform. Enjoy the show. It's Chris and Brian Jones, your real estate advocates, community connectors, talking Charlotte and York County area real estate, and interviewing business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast. All right, welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast on this Halloween day, man. Today I'm joined by... Jeff Johnson of New Path Properties. He's a real estate investor here in town. And uh, he's gonna kinda talk to us about what it is that real estate investors do. There's You see it all over TV and it looks fancy and glamorous, but he's gonna kinda give us some insight into what all he does. So Jeff, welcome to the Jones Zone Podcast, man. Thanks, happy to be here. <laughs> All right, man. Well, so that's a quick, brief introduction. But if you don't mind, just kind of uh, share a little bit of your personal story and then some of your professional background and then how you got into doing all this real estate investing and stuff. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in a house that was uh, built in the 1890s. And so basically my whole childhood was rehabbing a house. Uh, <laughs> so I lived it and breathed it for probably the, I don't know, better part of 10 years growing up. And I was just always interested in it, watching guys, what they did, and those kinds of things. So I heard a lot about it from people that were working in our house. And um, went to college, got a civil engineering degree. Uh, worked in the civil engineering industry for about 15 years before I started my business. And just always wanted to do something with, with uh, houses. And, you know, kind of bought my own first house and fixed it up and sold it, made a little bit of money. And so that sort of is what sparked the whole uh, idea behind actually doing it as a business and I actually knew some guys that I worked with uh, uh, one of the girls I worked with actually her husband was a flipper and they always had you know new boats and new cars and never had to worry about money and I was like what is that all about so anyway that's how it, how it all kind of got started and just got tired of sitting at a desk all day and making money for somebody else so what gave you kind of the courage to I mean to do that, I mean, obviously you saw people doing it. It looked like it was something that appealed to you, but what kind of, did you quit your job at first or did you start this as, as a part-time gig or how, what really motivated you to get started on it? So I was working, luckily I was uh, working for a company that let me work four days a week. So I was working four tens and um, Fridays was my real estate day. So I'd get on the phone, make offers. I made hundreds and hundreds of offers the first nine months. Uh, that I started it, but I, I actually took some education from a little company out in uh, California, out in Sacramento, called Foreclosures.com. Alexis McGee, she's actually still a good friend of mine, but um, they they taught me about white knight investing. You know, basically helping people out of sticky situations and, and making a profit in the you know in the process. So uh, I went out, took a little bit of training, started working Fridays. Like I said, it took me nine months to land my first deal. But I never stopped. I think that's the difference between uh, successful investors and people that just dip their toe in. Is is you just got to keep at it. Uh, you're gonna there's gonna be lots of failures before you get that one success. And then of course after that success, then things just start rolling. And, you know, first year I bought a house, one house. Second year it was three. 
next year seven, and then now I'm up to about forty a year. Oh, jeez. Hoping to double that next year. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> so it took nine months to find a house. What kind of houses were you looking for, and how'd you go about finding these houses? Well, one of the things I learned from my mentor was to not worry about the type of house. Look at the margin. So, I for me it was about numbers. It wasn't about uh, do I want a three bedroom, two bath? Do I want it in this neighborhood? It was always, you know, check the comps, look at the margin, make sure there's margin, and that's how you buy the house. You buy based on the numbers, not based on the neighborhood or a specific property profile. Because you're you got to have a lot of irons in the fire to buy buy a good property at a good discount, be able to make money. Yeah. So. That was it. It was all based on, you know, I had to make 15% profit. That was non-negotiable. So that took the emotions out of the deal. Because um, you can't get emotional about buying property. That's what I see a lot of people doing now. They're way overpaying because they just want to, you know, they just want to do something. They just want to buy a property and flip it. But then they overpay and they lose money and then they're out of the business. And that sucks. So I was lucky to meet my mentor who really kept me out of a lot of trouble. If nothing else, you get me out of trouble. Yeah. So you mentioned white knight investing. What kind of clientele are you helping here with that? You name it. I mean, it's people that are in divorce situations, foreclosure situations. Um, they've just owned a house. They they have uh, renters in there that have beaten the place up and they don't have the money to fix it up. Code enforcement. by I mean, you name it. It runs the gamut. Uh, and people who just don't have the money to maintain the house, they don't want to list it. Um, and they just want to get out of it or they need the money and they need to, you know, they need to sell their house and that's where their equity is. So really there's no specific type of person, but it's usually someone who's in a distress situation. Um, if somebody's, if somebody has time, I almost always tell them you should go ahead and list this property with a realtor. You're going to make way more money on it than what I can pay you because I have to make a profit. Um, so I always try and make it a win-win for both of us. And if it's something that I can't buy, I'll uh, refer it out to a, to a realtor to list it for those folks. Yeah. Now, how do you decide if if you're going to um, flip it or sell it to a wholesaler? Or actually, can you touch on wholesaling a little bit? What is that? So wholesaling is, is basically getting a property under contract and then finding an end buyer. So somebody who's going to actually fix it up and either sell it or keep it as a rental. Um and all contracts in North Carolina are assignable. I think in South Carolina, you have to actually state that on your contract. Um, and really all it is, is let's say somebody, I get a house under contract at a hundred thousand bucks. I have either have too many properties or it's in an area that I don't want to be working or it's more project than I want or whatever. I'll contact someone who wants to flip in that area or flips in that area and offer it to them at 110,000. So I'll make a $10,000 assignment fee They'll get the house at 110 and then they do their thing. So they close on it. Sometimes I'll actually close on it and then resell it. I usually don't like to do that because of all the title insurance and and every time you, you close on it, you gotta pay transfer fees and dock fees and all those things, attorney's fees. So I usually try and just assign it, have it do a, a double closing and just be done with it. Yeah. Now do you have to have a real estate license to do all the things you, you do? No, in fact, I don't have a real estate license because it really restricts you a lot. Yeah. What you, can, you have to follow a lot more rules. Um, there's all kinds of things you can't do if you have a real estate license. So I let, I let my realtors do their thing. They're way better at marketing properties than me. So I have a whole separate team of realtors that does that stuff um, when I'm finished with the property. Yeah. 
And then, um, so what makes you decide on whether or not you're going to um, flip it or rent it out? Or, I mean, what kind of decision-making process do you take a property through? So flips, I'm almost always looking for high margin. So if I, if I buy a house cheap and it needs a lot of work and I'm going to be working on it for a while, I'm usually going to sell it. Um, for rentals, I try and buy one rental a quarter and add it to my portfolio. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. So about four rentals a year is what I'm adding in my portfolio. Those are mostly houses where it maybe needs ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars at the most. I don't want to go in and do a full rehab on a house and then throw a renter in there and have to rehab it again in five years. So it's usually an almost rent ready house, maybe it needs paint, carpet, a little bit of, you know, maybe a new light fixture here and there and a few things, but I'm not gonna go in and do a full gut rehab and then rent a house. I'll I'll just sell it. It's just I put too much money into it. <laughs> yeah. Too much time to have it be a rental. I needed to I need to get that money back out of it as quickly as I can. What are some of the most common improvements that you make on a house? I mean, do you go straight to new paint and carpet or how do you decide what you're gonna fix up? You know what's funny is my first let's see, so up until about twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, ninety percent of what I was doing, I didn't replace cabinets, it was just flooring, paint, carpet, roof maybe, windows. But I swear for the last four years, every house I'm ripping out cabinets. I'm, it's new countertops. It's the full thing. So I would say, I would say mostly I'm, I'm remodeling, completely remodeling the inside. And then usually it's windows, roof. I've been painting all my brick houses lately, which gives them a really great look. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, it run, it really does run the gamut of, of the amount of rehab. I have a little sheet that I put together for some of the people because I do I have my own real estate uh, investor meeting that I do the second Thursday of the month up, uh, up in Charlotte and I do a little bit of free training there and I put together a little document it's like uh, it's a, a rehab rule of thumb um, document and it goes through the, the five different levels of rehab so level one two three four and five and then it's got a, a basic range of per square foot cost for each of those levels so level one would be like a quick lipstick paint carpet job. Level two would be a, you know, we're going to uh, replace windows, roof, HVAC, but we're not going to move any walls um, inside. And then level three is going to be, okay, we're going to move a couple walls, um, maybe do the kitchen. And then level four is like full, we're, we're doing full remodel on the house. And then level five is like a new build. Yeah. So that helps a lot of people figure out what it actually costs to do the work. Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. So, um, how is your company structured? So, you're, it's New Path Properties, and you're the owner. But walk us through the early days, and then how you guys got to where you are now. I mean, it was just you at the start, right? Yeah, and I, I was a, I was pretty much a solopreneur up until about a year and a half ago. Um, I was doing acquisitions. I was doing scopes of work i was managing contractors i was paying all the bills i was doing everything and once i got about once i was doing about six projects at a time it just got to be too much for me to handle so i hired a guy to manage just the rehabs for me and then so that kind of i was able to step away a little bit from that and um that worked out okay uh he had a bunch of other work he was doing so it didn't didn't go as, as well as i had thought I tried another couple, it went okay, and then I found another guy that is working for me full-time now, does a fantastic job, and 
keeps everything straight. I have to. I really don't get that involved. I might go to a house. I don't know, maybe two, three times from the time I buy it to the time I sell it, and that's really where I was trying to get. I was trying to extract myself from the whole day to day. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, doors and, and faucets kind of thing, which is what I used to do. To uh, I help develop the scope now, develop the budget, and then I'm hands off. And they yeah. call me with big questions, and that's it. That's awesome, man. So that's that's pretty good for uh, an eight year window there. Yeah, well, business has been good the last couple of years. Luckily, um, you know, if you can buy a property, you can sell it easily. When I first started, I mean, it was hard selling property. You could buy a property super easy, but Nobody could get financing. It really kept the prices low. Uh, the only good thing is, is if if you did run across somebody who wanted to sell a property, you didn't have forty other investors trying to outbid you, which is what you've got now. So I don't get into bidding wars with other investors. Um, my price is my price, and if you you know if you want to work with me, that's what I can pay. And you know I see a lot of people way overpaying for properties right now, way overpaying. What advice do you give to uh, people just starting out? Like you said, you, you see people paying way overpaying. So, other than the fifteen percent, I mean, is there are there any general rules of thumb that you try to relay to people that are just getting started? Yeah, you better make sure that you know what the rehab is going to cost, and if you don't, make sure you get around somebody that can give you a solid number because that's going to be the biggest place most people lose money is rehab going over budget that's why you got to buy it so cheap you know everybody says why do i have to get it 65 percent uh you know market value minus repairs that just seems like too much profit but i'll tell you what almost every single rehab i do goes over budget but I, I think i might have had one rehab in the last five years that was on or under budget every one of them goes over budget. yeah well i mean you know you get in there you start <laughs> pulling up floors and messing with the electrical i mean something's pretty much yeah. gonna that happens just in, in regular residential uh, real estate as well. Yep, absolutely. So that's the biggest thing is make sure you know what you're getting yourself into and don't overpay. You, you know, people out there overpaying, they're killing people like me who are trying to make a living doing this. Um, I had a house just last week. Uh, one investor came in at 95. I was at 100,000. And then some guy from Concord comes down and pays 125 grand for this house. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't know gonna make any money but you know that'll he'll be he'll get one deal and then that's the end of it yeah um when you do you do you keep like um not uh like an interior decorator or anybody like that on your staff to kind of keep up with trends when you're remodeling and stuff no what i've done is i i have one realtor who's got a real good eye for trends but i i've always had a pretty good eye for design um, so I do most of my own. I do most of my own design, and we have a we have a few uh, standard like uh, appliance, um, fixture, plumbing fixtures, light fixtures. We have a few packages that we use depending on what level property. So my guys know what to buy for specific packages. Then we have a couple of colors we use, and there's three or four exterior uh, pattern uh, colors that we use. So we've kind of got it dialed in. Yeah. Um, most of my houses don't sit on the market very long. And you've got um, a solid contracting team and all that doing demo and rehabs? 
Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of guys, and these are independent guys. They've got their own crews. All I do, all my guys do, the guys that work for me, all they do is just manage. That's it. They just make sure things are getting done. The budgets are being met. The schedules are being met. And that's it. The contractors that I use are, are responsible for that. And I go through them, man. I might get eight projects out of a contractor, and then I'm on to the next one. Yeah. It's just it's the nature of the beast. Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel the same way. So with the contractors that we have, it's a hard time. Anytime I tell, anytime I find a good one, I'm like, dude, I'm gonna try to use you as much as I can. And uh, before I know it, I'm not using them anymore. Either they quit showing up or whatever. They take advantage of you, you know. They you build a you build a relationship, and then they think they can start overpricing. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, as busy it is right now, it's hard. To because they got you know ten other people beating on their door to do work for them, so yeah, you know, it's a game. It's all a game. Um, I want to talk about HGTV and TLC and all those types of things. You know, as as when I'm in the real estate business, people even though I don't do flips or rehabs or anything like that, people are always asking me about these shows. Do you think <laughs> that do you think that these are accurate at all, or are these are these sending dangerous? Uh, false promises to people well you know they don't they might show one or two little challenges because they've got to make it i mean think about it this way they've got to make it interesting for tv right right so they're coming up with they're coming up with fake scenarios they're coming up with different things and they're not giving you the true numbers i mean if you look at the numbers that they're actually showing you they're not accounting for holding costs they're not account half the time they don't even account for realtor fees yeah um you know, they're not given a realistic view of the kind of money you're going to give. Look, you're, you're going to be able to make good money, but not every single project is going to be a slam dunk. You know, it's just not. And they just don't talk about that. The other thing is, is the construction never goes that quickly. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you don't have you don't have one guy named Manny doing everything for you. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a juggle trying to get people to do work. That's probably the biggest, um, thing that we got to deal with right now is just getting people to do what they said they're going to do. Yeah. It's very hard. You don't just meet with your contractor out there and show them a couple things and walk away. I mean, it's, it's a, it's not like that at all. Yeah. You take an advantage of go like that. And then, uh, you know, you put it on the market and if it sells really quick, it's still another month before it closes. Yeah. And then that deal falls through on day 29 and you got to start over. And I will tell you, um, one of the things that we've gotten really good at is um, the back-end sales, uh, building relationships with our buyers. Uh, one of the things I do is when I get a house under contract, I always try and either me or my contract manager will meet the buyers on site with their realtor and build a relationship so that when that inspection report comes back, we've already got a relationship and there's no walking away from the deal at that point. We're going to do whatever it takes to hold the deal together. The other thing I do, and I don't know how many people you have that flip the list of the show, but one of the things that's worked really well for me is when I get that inspection report, I will always go through it and I will send a detailed response on what I will and will not do. And anything I will not do, I'm very detailed about why it doesn't need to be done. But I pretty much fix almost everything they ask me to fix, unless it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I think uh, this, it, that's one of those situations where kind of like knowledge is king. Like 
you, when you get yep. the inspection report and the inspector, you know, someone pays an inspector five or six hundred bucks to go out there and find every little thing that's wrong with it. When a lot of the times an explanation from the seller or the other agent can kind of clarify some of the little things that turn into big things and they really shouldn't have. It should have been nipped in the bud, you know, right. a lot earlier. So that's awesome that you do that. Did you have to yeah. learn the hard way that that's that that? Yes. <laughs> that that is why what you should do. <laughs> yeah, when, you're, when you're counting on that sale to be able to pay your bills, you know, and you're running on credit, I can't tell you how many months I ran on credit because I had, you know, money going out the door like crazy. Um, and I needed that sale to just be able to pay my bills. And then the sale falls apart and, you, you know, you can't salvage it once it's gone. Yeah. Um, you do that a couple of times. You figure out real quick, you need, you, you know, sellers are your or your buyers are your clients. You need to take care of them. The other thing too, like if you go look on my Facebook page, you'll see pictures. I have lots of pictures with people I've sold houses to. And that has reaped all kinds of benefits when someone comes and puts a contract on my house and they go look at my Facebook page and they see all these happy buyers. Yeah. It gives them a, a sense of confidence and a sense of peace that, you know, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do and you're going to be happy at the end of the day or I'm not going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good uh, social proof to have those. I mean, it's it's basically a testimonial right there, having pictures like that. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, so for anyone looking to get started in this, do they need um, a bunch of money to get started? Well, if you have a bunch of money, it's easier, but you don't need it. Um, one of the things that we've been doing a lot lately is doing a lot of uh, seller finance and subject to deals. Uh, about one out of every three deals I buy, I end up... I end up with very little cash in the deal. Uh, I'll negotiate with the seller to take over their loan. And sometimes I just have one down in Fort Mill. That's where you guys are, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had one down in Fort Mill that the, the seller actually I took over her loan and she actually wrote me a second on the property um, to try to get her where she needed to be on price because we were so far apart. We had to figure out a way to, um, to, to close that gap. And so that's what we did. And that's it. I mean, it's like, you know, you got to go into every situation as a problem solver. You're not, you're not just a guy there to make money. You're there to solve problems for people. And as long as you keep that in mind, you can be successful. If you go in like, I'm going to make a bunch of money and take a bunch of trips, uh, you're probably not going to get very far. So that's probably my biggest advice there is try and solve problems for people. Focus on the people first and then worry about the property later. And everything just kind of falls into place. Yeah. What do you think about all these um, real estate gurus on TV, like, you know, signing up for courses? And is that stuff legit, or do you feel like you really need to learn from a local, experienced real estate investor? I have mixed feelings about this because I don't regret for one second going to a training class with the guru, and I wouldn't call her a guru. She would, she would kill me if she knew someone call her a guru but, <laughs> but someone who's someone that you pay to train you is money that's very well spent but I think you have to be very careful about who you're learning from um, I always look at you know are they going to continue to try and sell me the next level of this the next level of that or are they going to actually give me some content that's going to allow me to do this business not just buy the next course right so you know, that's the thing is talk to people who've done it. Um, find out if you're actually going to get any tools. That's one of the things I loved about my early training. 
I got all the tools I needed to start doing it for about $13,000. And I realized now that was super cheap. Um, I don't know many places you can do that now, but the best place people can start is come to RIA meetings. Okay. Come to meetings, go to the subgroup meetings. You would, it would shock you how much great content you can get for free. I give out thousands of dollars of free content at my meeting every month. Um, I have experts come and speak. I have, I mean, I, if I charge for that, I could probably charge, I would say 10 to 20,000 a year for the content we give out for free. Um, the only thing I ask is that the relationships I build, you know, return to me. If somebody starts in the business and they're wholesaling, call me first, shoot me a deal, give me a chance to buy your deals. If I'm going to help you get into the business. So that's, that's kind of my give back. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, it looked like you just pulled in, um, <laughs> got where you're going. So um, let's let's take a, the last minute or so, just kind of remind people who you are and what you do. And I know you mentioned the meetings. How can people find where those are and when those are? Well, I'll tell you, um, it's the same place every month. It's the second Thursday evening of the month. Okay, so whatever day that lands on, I think it lands on the ninth this month. Um, we started about 6.30 at night. And we usually go till about 8, 30, 9 o'clock at the latest, depends on who the speaker is. And it's at the Kickstand Burger and Bar, which is at 11, I think it's 1101 Central Avenue, uh, 28204 up in Charlotte. And we have the whole back room. We can fit about 50 people. We usually have about 50 people. Um, and you can meet, I would say probably half to two-thirds of the people that come there are full-time real estate investors. And if, you know, people always call me or, or text me and say, hey, can we meet for lunch? Can we meet for coffee? Can I buy you dinner? I'm like, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy. I don't have a lot of time to meet everybody. So that's a perfect opportunity to come. If you want to buy me dinner, call me or text me and say, hey, can you meet me at Kickstand Burger Bar at 530? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that Thursday night and I meet people there all the time and just pick my brain, you know, pick my brain. I'm more than willing to share what I know. You know, I'm not going to share my seller secrets, but I'll share everything else. <laughs> All right. You know, if I keep people out of trouble, it'll come back to me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah. All, all right, man. Well, Jeff Johnson, New Path Properties, I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. Tell us a little bit uh, what's going on in the real estate investor world. And um, looking forward to meeting you, man. I think I'm going to come out to one of these events you're having and uh, meet you in person. That'd be great. Maybe I'll have you come speak. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun, man. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the Jones Zone, dude. Thanks, Chris. See you later. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Jones Zone podcast with Chris and Brian Jones. We'll catch you on the next episode.